I'm Rachel. I'm Taylor. And we're, we're the, the Barclays. This is episode two of our podcast called The Barclays. And thank you everyone who listened to episode one and left us a five-star review and any written reviews. Wow, we were just blown away we by were. the encouragement. And so we showed up again this week to record. Thank you, everyone. It really was encouraging because it's kind of scary. It is to put our opinions out there. Our voices. Yeah. Listen to your own voice. That's a trip. So we decided to just dive right in on a really tough topic that we could talk about for hours, but we're going to give you about 20 minutes on the topic of how are we to think about political engagement as Christians? So uh, Taylor... I think it's good to start out with saying, what does the Bible, the word of God, say about government and politics? That is a good place to start <laughs> because the Bible is an important collection of books. It's not just one book. It's a collection of books in one volume. And it guides how Christian belief, uh, how Christians live their lives on this earth. So there are a few kind of greatest hits passages when it comes to interpreting how Christians should live politically, behave politically. I'm just going to run through three of them. Uh, so it's like a greatest hits of the greatest hits. Uh, the first is first Samuel eight. And I actually first learned about that chapter in the Cato Institute's libertarian reader. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you wouldn't, it, it was surprising. I was very surprised. You know, I grew up a Christian and had never read first Samuel eight as a political, or just way to think about politics from a theological standpoint. And what's happening there in that chapter is you have the Israelites, God's chosen people, and they're talking with God through Samuel, a prophet. Uh, the book is named after Samuel, the prophet. And the Israelites are saying, hey, all these other kingdoms around us, they have kings. We're just following God, and we have these prophets. So jealous. So jealous. <laughs> Everyone has a king except for me. <laughs> And Samuel's like, all right, I'm going to talk with God. God says, okay, they want a king. Here's what's going to happen. The king is going to take your sons. He's going to take your women. He's going to take your things. He's going to take some of your crops. Is this really what you want? And they said, sign us up for that. So Samuel went with God's help and found Saul, who became the first king of Israel. And it, all those things happened. <laughs> and it's it's a chapter that you know was written... Uh, and for a very specific time and place, Israelites who are talking with God, they're God's chosen people. And I don't think it has universal applicability for all time, but it does have principles from which we can glean, including the fact that government takes things. So God's telling us government has a cost. Yes, indeed, indeed. And the, so that's one, one, you know, the first one, the second one is second greatest hits of the greatest hits would be Romans 13, Paul's letter to the Gentile, non-Jewish Christians in the city of Rome around AD 50 or so, somewhere in there. And Romans 13 is the 13th chapter. Uh, Paul probably did not write it with chapter headings. It was just one continuous letter to be read aloud. And he's he wished he could go in person to encourage them and tell them the gospel. But instead, he had to send this letter. And after chapter 12, talking about you know, common ways to live with Christian brothers and sisters, it transitions to 13, where it starts out by saying, you know, submit to the governing authorities. 
And I think there is important to keep in the context in which Paul is writing. So these are two Christians in Rome. Obviously, there's an emperor who is, you know, the son of God, according to Roman perspective, is, you know, has a divine nature uh, that obviously contradicts the Christian belief that Jesus is God, the son of God, the only son of God. And I think Paul is trying to instruct these people how to live. And it's also important to keep in mind that not, it was a very different political structure than the one we live in now, uh, you know, democratic Republic where, and, and this government would imprison Paul. Yeah, exactly. They did. Uh, they did in fact do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not everyone in that era had rights or and everyone wasn't even count to be a citizen. If you were a slave, if you're a woman, uh, no, no participation for you. So, you know, here he's, he's telling Christians essentially to keep in mind, you know, the, the, their aim is not one of earthly political aim. Mm. I think that's one of the key takeaways. And there are parts of the Bible where, you know, the story in the Old Testament of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obviously disobeying Mm. the king by not worshiping the idol that the king had set up. But So it can't just be a blanket, you know, submit to the governing authorities, you know, in our context of like, well, you know, the... There's a, even an unjust policy. Well, we just have to, to follow it because it's from the government. You know, I think there is a place for us to apply ethical, ethic, you know, theologically informed, ethically informed perspective in the political context. So the third one we want to talk about, too, is Jesus's answer to religious leaders attempts to trap him in the political conundrum. You know, uh, should we pay taxes and he responds, well, give me a denarius whose picture is on it. And they say, well, Caesar's. And he says, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And, and the second part is often forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when people just say this, recite this verse, uh, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I think it's important there to think about, well, what actually belongs to Caesar or the political authority at the time? And what actually belongs to God? And I think a lot more belongs to God. And we should keep that in mind when we're thinking through how to interact with whatever government structure uh, we're living in, amongst, under, whatever they... Because Christians are all over the world for the past 2,000 years. Pretty much every political form has been encountered. So this, uh, I think there are helpful principles for every kind of context from Mm -hmm. those verses. And context is the key word, I think, as we go on and anytime we we talk about the Bible or scripture verses in this podcast in the future, uh, context is key. You can't just pull verses out and use them as political bludgeons as we often see. That's not a good thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, That's a great point. And, you know, when I think about, okay, how do I think about this as a Christian? Um, I think of the big picture story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, bookended. Um, the story is from the garden, the Garden of Eden, to the city, the city of God. Uh, Genesis says in the beginning, be, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. It's Genesis one twenty eight. So there, he's telling Adam and Eve to govern. Exactly. And then in uh, Revelation on the bookend, this is actually 
a passage that is near and dear to us because it was read at our wedding. Wonderfully read. Wonderfully read. Uh, just beautiful. We reflect on the moment when that verse was read is very mm-hmm. important in our, our lives starting together. Uh, and this is what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Wow. I can get behind that. And this is, yeah, this is the beautiful picture of what eternity will be like, the city of God coming uh, here on earth. And, you know, there's a lot of mystery that we, yeah. <laughs> Taylor and I don't know what's going to happen in nope. the afterlife. We nope. couldn't, you know, there's, there's not a blueprint here, but uh, there's some breadcrumbs and this, this passage is one of them. And the big picture takeaway for me is that uh the kingdom of God is coming down here to earth. We're not this earth uh, as defined in Genesis to revelation is not just uh, going to be cast off and forgotten Mm -hmm. one day. And we're just going to fly away as the old hymn says, I'll fly away old glory. And then we're just going to leave this dirty place behind. It didn't matter anyway. Uh, I think that the Bible really points to actually our work, the work of our hands here on earth does matter and this world the evil parts of it right. will be redeemed kingdom will come here on earth um and so what we do matters so right. how we engage politically matters so that's all very big picture <laughs> it is it is i mean you're riffing on that a bit just quickly uh i've been thinking a lot about the spiritual nature of who we are as humans but then also the physical nature and maybe that's kind of a mini sort of illustration of what's going on Mm. right of i like nt wright's famous phrase that everyone uses the the now and not yet Mm. of the redemption of the world jesus's life death and resurrection kind of a mini uh sort of enactment so there there is something special happening now but then there's also jesus says i'm going to come back later and that will be what you talked about there in revelation kind of the final capstone yes yes and that it it's kind of mysterious right yeah (laughs) we we don't know what that looks like the now and not yet is something that is a little uh little airy fairy (laughs) (laughs) it is it's be i mean which maybe we'd expect something like that if we're getting a word from uh almighty all-knowing being yeah if if we can totally explain god then there's something (laughs) yeah something yeah something to that Um, so what does this mean practically then so the now how do we deal with the now right how do you deal with your ballot how do you make those decisions on who to vote for and what to call your congressman on and what to do uh, what choices to make how much should you engage is is the are, are the political workings of this world too far gone to evil to engage that actually you should just cloister yourself away, focus on your family, and don't even engage? We're just going to bail. 
<laughs> and and some people do think that they think that's that true. we should just that's true. you know create a community care you know about building uh, a little mini kingdom and forget about the goings on of this country right uh, we don't believe that right this um, is our podcast not theirs yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay so taylor when you look at your ballot what are you thinking how are you making decisions well uh, important too to keep in mind our one of our bugaboos is culturally here in an american context we're hyper focused politics often means federal politics we're hyper focused on that way over focused we talk about federalism especially you rachel you're good at that talking about federalism this idea that there are you know there's a state governments level there's a local government level and it's important to be really aware of that and it's it's so easy too <laughs> to just you know look up who is your county or your city who's on your county you know commissioner council who's on your city council maybe you have a neighborhood association that's a local government and there's a state level government if you live in the u.s where you have you know usually two representatives nebraska they have the unicameral <laughs> state government so there's only one house which is cool um but every other state has two so who are those people and they're often you can call their home number they're often on the website and <laughs> instead of you know waiting months for maybe an audience with the president who then just has you in the room if you're lucky if you're lucky who just has you in the room for the photo anyway you can actually inter interact with these people these men and women and i think and it's very easy to do quickly to look it up and stay focused and put a lot of effort in at that at that level so when you go to your ballot i think that it gives you a lot more context for why are things on the ballot, maybe who's backing it. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, when I was young, and I've, I've seen this over and over every place I've lived, there are often people who are just, this is like their hobby, mm -hmm. local politics. And they sometimes will have, you know, voting guides breaking down, you know, what is what the heck is, you know, Proposition 41 or Ballot Measure 82. So those can be helpful people to engage with. And they're easy to find because that's what they love to do. Um, so if you don't have the time maybe to walk through the ballot ahead of time, you can talk with those people who help give helpful guides. Yeah, this is, you know, I, I you hit my biggest pet peeve is the nationalization of yes. our political thinking. Um, and we devote so much time to... A president who shouldn't have that much power over our oh lives. Boy. Another podcast topic. <laughs> yes. I really, you know, your state and local entities are who you're closest to, mm -hmm. how you can impact change on how your schools are run, what yep. bridges are built, you know, the things that probably matter more to you day in and day out um, right. or should. Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's a whole issue in and of itself, but deciding, you know, what politician to vote for, I think for a long time in Christian culture, um, the thought was we need a moral majority. We need, mm -hmm. um, you know, the most socially conservative Christian in each seat of power as possible right. to take over the government. Right. Um, and you know, I I think in uh, there there isn't a clear biblical mandate. Of course, we want people who seek God in positions of power. Um, of course, we want that. But there isn't this biblical mandate that the the government must be the ones to be the hands and feet of Christ. So for conservatives, you know, this means that 
it's not our politicians who are tasked with enforcing morality and moral mm. good. Uh, for liberals, this means that it is not our government that is tasked with performing all social equity and social good, um, right? It's it's actually on the individual. Um, and so it's a little bit of a gray area on, it, biblically speaking, a gray area on what the role of government in carrying out those social goods and moral goods are. And Taylor, I know you have things to say about this because you wrote a book with chapter a book chapter with a few other people <laughs> on being a libertarian and a Christian. That's right. Called to Freedom: Why You Can Be a Christian and a Libertarian. It's published in 2017, and my chapter was about personal morality and politics. And there's a handy dandy chart in my chapter which Rachel designed. <laughs> Kind of like a flowchart, if you will, a guide on how personal morality, personal moral issues should apply in the political context. Check out the book for the for the for the chart. <laughs> what a teaser! What a teaser! Yeah, I, I I don't really have it anywhere, but you bring up really important points, and I think fear can often go into those calculations to say have a majority or to be fully represented. I think no matter what the government context a christian is in ultimate hope is in god right and that gives a lot of confidence right exactly our, our political choices uh should not be driven by fear fear of losing cultural ascendancy mm-hmm. um the fear fear of the future um mm-hmm. yeah we could go down the list of fears that uh, political choices should not be driven by because well, our lives should not be governed by fear. Uh, I think the most used phrase in the Bible is do not fear. Uh, yeah. And so that's a pretty pretty clear mandate. We have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's, not, it's not black and white, the things we should be making right. our, <laughs> our choices on, right? And so I think that yeah, yeah. sometimes people oversimplify and yeah. say, well, you're evil if you don't vote for this right. or this person or whatnot. And well, the fact is that each politician, right, there's probably some area um, that you're going to disagree with, even if they're on your, quote, team, right, on That's your true. political side. And so um, God gives us a lot of leeway <laughs> in uh, in making these kind of gray areas, but there are areas that um, are not uh, are are not gray, right? Yep. You know, if you have, uh, for example, a Marxist that says that religion is the opioid of the masses and all religion should be stamped out, well, that's probably a pretty clear area that you don't want to be voting for. I agree. I agree. And this is, you know, we have tools here. General Revelation, Special Revelation is classified. Special Revelation being the Bible, General Revelation, reason, science, mm-hmm. those sorts of factors. So take it all into context, but with hope in God. Yes. Well, Taylor, we could go on and on about this. We've probably gone on too long, but we should segue into our favorite segment of stinkers and thinkers. Taylor, what is your media stinker of the week? My media stinker of the week is an article that was written last month in Tablet Magazine, which I think is an online magazine. 
and the title of it was Everything is Broken. And I disagreed with that title immediately. I didn't even have to read the article. In fact, I waited a whole month to read the article, and then I read it. And it starts with this pretty moving story of the author uh, who had a baby, who had a something like a very terrible health condition. The details were unclear. That was un, It wasn't caught for the first three years of the child's life. And that is terrible. But then she goes into this, she had this, paragraph in the first bit talking about how you know once upon a time in america all these institutions worked together to pull in the diversity of of experiences on the continent and stamped them american and i was waiting for this equivocation about how well not everyone was actually represented in hollywood or the news specifically if you were a minority of any type (laughs) minority perspective of any type you weren't represented so but she didn't equivocate or note that at all and didn't even seem to acknowledge the fact that you know people are living longer they are making more money their quality of life is higher internationally we should say not just in the u.s certainly in the u.s context where uh you know fewer women are dying in childbirth fewer babies are dying period um reading this book right now about you know women saying oh i've you know i've had six kids and two or alive you know that 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 was a fact of human history for for most of human history and we we've you know largely escaped that so anyway it was just right generally the this article i read it also it's like a a a pessimistic view that everything is broken and breaking and breaking down in our society when that's actually not the case when you look at the facts you know um yeah i totally agree i mean I look at myself 20 years ago, I would not be probably, alive yeah. probably yeah. because yeah. Uh, the technology just was not there for the type of surgery I had that saved my life. Right. So I think, you know, just little things like that, that we just take for granted, right? There aren't very many articles written talking about everything that's going great in the world. Right. There's just not an incentive to write the, those right, stories. Right, right. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. Yep. Um, and this is not to say that there isn't suffering right. in this world by no means. I mean, there is, a, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of injustice. There's a right. lot of suffering. Uh, but the big curve is net positive. Right. That was my stinker. What's yours? My stinker is next year's 2022 Beijing Olympics. Yes. You heard me. The, the Olympics. Olympics. You think, why would that be a stinker? Everyone loves the Olympics. I. Everyone did. Everyone did until the 2022 Winter Olympics were being hosted in Beijing. How can this, the Olympics is this, you know, standard bearer of, you know, humanity Hmm. and human dignity being upheld in the global stage. Right. And Beijing, the country that is currently committing what many people would call a genocide against a... A uh, yeah. religious group, the the Uyghurs, who are a Muslim minority, they um, are undergoing in these terrible what would we would probably call concentration camps. Yeah. Um, their children are being separated from their families. Yeah. Their organs are being harvested, uh, rapes, killings. It women is, are being sterilized. It, it, it women are being sterilized. It is atrocious what's happening there, and the global stage is sending the Olympics there. I think that. Um, the Olympics, our corporations, our government should uh, hmm. use this to say, China, if you don't cut this out, then 
We're out. Bye-bye. That's a good stinker. I'm get behind it. <laughs> All right. Now, Taylor, what is our... we This week, we actually have a joint thinker. Normally, we have our own. Dun, dun, dun. But actually, you'll... Uh, something fun about us we do a little barkley book club every once in a while and this time it was les miserables i think i'm saying that correctly i let you say it because i don't know <laughs> french pronunciation 1300 words of an english translation from 2013 penguin press it was a good english translation i got into which is the best translation of victor hugo and i pronounced all these french names in my head they were probably all wrong <laughs> So, you know, sorry for the mispronunciation of the title, but The Wretched is the rough, I guess, I guess, English translation. And it was a journey, but it was a really, it was an excellent book. You kind of have to, you have to say that, I guess, about the book. <laughs> there were parts where, you know, Hugo, he, he waxes eloquent about, you know, his opinions on the sewers or of Paris. Uh, or Waterloo. Yeah, of Waterloo, you know, or he says, let me tell you about these barricades that were built in this one time, this other revolution in France. But my favorite part was the insights into, I think, emotional... I guess the the turmoil that can happen, and I I, I resonated with it because it's been in my own head. But he talks in this one scene with Marius's grandfather, and the grandfather is he loves the son his his grandson Marius, but then he treats him poorly, and he he lashes out in anger, and Marius like runs away essentially. You know, spoiler alert, I guess. But it's been a, it's been out for 150 years, so <laughs> so if you haven't read it by now, it's, it's on you. Uh, and it was just very, I thought, really insightful and honest about, I guess, human condition. Uh, so that was one of my favorite parts. What were, what did you like about it? Was it your thinker? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you you can't not say that it's a great work, but um, I think the yeah the human emotion and I, I didn't when I'd seen the play before, I didn't think too much about the kind of political backdrop, but I actually thought it was kind of applicable to our current time of mm -hmm. kind of populist revolution and the people being unhappy with the governance and wanting, you know, a new social order and different segments of society kind of coming to the revolution for different reasons. And then um, that period in time then kind of, impacting their personal relationships yeah. and their their kind of personal grappling grappling uh was backed up by kind of this political moment and so i thought it was just very applicable to our current time and uh the populist moment and a lot of lessons for that um, but of course the stories of you know redemption yeah. and forgiveness um i think the, the stories of forgiveness were the most powerful thing i think you, you and i both took away the generosity of jean valjean mm. he went around with what like 50 or 500 francs in his pocket and he would just give it away mm -hmm. so every time he came home his pockets were empty and he had this reputation amongst the poor and his whatever neighborhood he was in of being you know that generous quiet man or whatever and i've thought a lot about that mm -hmm. let's just walk around with with some extra cash jvj john valjean yeah what a guy what well, a fictional guy that's a good a good positive note to end on taylor um that wraps up our second episode of second episode the barclays podcast thank you everyone for tuning yeah, in yeah thanks for listening